2: What up, everybody? We are back with another episode of Dice It Up on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. We are thrilled to welcome an incredible guest, incredible basketball mind, phenomenal media talent, great friend, Maria (laughs) Marino. Just so thankful that you've carved out time on your Tuesday afternoon to spend with us. uh, You know, staple of the Northeast Sports Market work at SNY, covering every sport, but dealt a lot with uh, the WNBA with the Liberty, the Yukon Huskies, who are a pretty good basketball team, <laughs> and ended up taking your talents to Action Network, where you are now, doing amazing work there on Green Dot Daily every day, uh, hosting the Buckets podcast, doing men's and women's basketball. So happy to get you on to talk with us.
3: Okay, that might be the most epic introduction in the history oh. of my media appearances, but it's an absolute oh. pleasure. I'm so excited to meet Ice for the first time, um, and I'm I'm happy to 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 join a friend in Dano who has uh, been a regular on on the aforementioned buckets podcast.
2: Oh yeah, we're we're, we're loving that. Uh, we I love how somehow ice is always have has some connection to a guest we have like down the road and of course it's uh brendan glasheen who still mm-hmm. does play-by-play for the connecticut sun uh ice's old uh, work husband um, also does work at action network so it's it's all, yes. it's all connecting uh we love shouting him out uh we'll mm-hmm. be on the call I, I assume tonight i don't think it's a national tv game so uh mm-hmm. you'll be hearing this i guess on august 2nd
0: right. but
2: uh maria like, you have done like almost too much, uh, and I remember reading like the the Forbes piece that that Howard did, and I was like, oh my god! Like, I wish I had this motivation to work that hard at anything in my life. Um, <laughs> but but take take me back to where the the love for sports all started from from young Maria to where you are now.
3: Well. The love for sports and then the media side of it were sort of two different things Mm -hmm. that eventually came together in my life to mold into what I'm doing now. But I mean, I loved playing sports as a kid. Um, Both my parents were athletic. They both played basketball, actually, for rival high schools. Um, So Mm -hmm. they never met each other because like when their teams were playing, like obviously like girls are home, guys are away. Uh, But they eventually met uh, later on as adults Um, and you know, my, my older siblings played ball. Um, in fact, my older sister was probably the best out of, um, out of my three older siblings. And I used to love going to her games. Basketball is the first sport I learned to play and mm-hmm. it's still my favorite sport uh, to cover. And, um, you know, so I, it was a family affair watching. And then later on, I discovered journalism. I was always like a storyteller, always loved to write. Um, And then as a junior in high school, took a journalism class and kind of realized, like, this is what I want to pursue as a career. I was lucky that I figured that out, like, pretty early Um, and, you know, became the editor and then went into college. And that sort of morphed into, hey, you know, I have no issue sort of presenting myself like I didn't care about public speaking. I like the interactions with people doing interviews and all that. And so it morphed into you know, on air, on camera. Um, so that's, that's where it all started.
2: Love that. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I see you, 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 probably have a similar situation, but you, you had to go to like six different schools, of course. To,
1: <laughs> to to end up at a- yeah. Maria, you figured it out your junior year of high school. I figured out my junior year of college uh-huh. um, at my second school, but honestly it was just like the Syracuse new house mafia that was thrown on to me that I just could not escape. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that. I want to ask you about, you know, since you were so driven in broadcasting, like at a young age, being in high school, um, what has, how have you crafted like your development? Since you've kind of known what you wanted to do, you've maybe had some goals from a very young age. So, how have you crafted out your development through the rest of your high school, through the rest of college, mm-hmm. and then obviously that first major job at SNY? Well, um... That, that job at SNY did not come uh, swiftly.
3: You know, mm. I always joke with people, my first full-time job was at 29 years old because mm. before that, it was just years of grinding and working multiple part-time and freelance gigs. Um, and I feel like um, there was definitely a, a flip that switched when I realized that sports was the area that I wanted to focus on because when I was in college. I mean, I wrote for like high school sports for our local paper and did like cover like local football and basketball games for like high schools and stuff like that. But when someone I was actually interning at ABC seven in New York and my mentor there at the time, uh, she's still a reporter there for seven on your side, Nina Pineda. She said to me that like she heard me talking about the Giants one day and she was like, you need to be covering sports. And I, I was like, I never thought it was realistic. I couldn't visualize like a path. And sure enough, I always say my famous phrase is like, there's no blueprint in this industry that you can follow. It's really just a, a winding path that you have to just go step by step and see where it leads. And you have to be open to a lot of things. So, I mean, I covered lifestyle stuff. I did local news reporting and anchoring for a radio station. And then, um, you know, a couple of high school buddies had this sports podcast that they started for fun, asked me to come on. And all of a sudden it hit me, like, this is really what I love. Um, And then I pursued it from there. And my first um, sports gig was in radio at Sirius XM. Through doing that, I was able to network and kind of find other gigs and Mm. and branch out and worked at NBC Sports Radio, eventually worked at a uh, company called Fantasy Sports Network, which is now Sports Grid, uh, which was my first regular on camera thing. And then did enough work where SNY saw it and um, invited me to freelance. I freelanced for nine months, um, including a stint covering eight men's college games. Um, And that was Dan Hurley's first year. So super for him, super happy for him that he has come full circle and um, got a championship, which is what he went there to do. And then the following year, I became full-time at SNY started covering the women's side, which I, which I adored. And um, that was four years. And now, uh, as Dano mentioned, a new chapter at Action Network, but not closing the door on all the other things
1: um, that I'm interested in. Shout out to you and the grind. I (laughs) I love it. I I know it all too, all too well, just as an athlete and then getting into this But, you know, often um, we see the use on TV, right? We see um, the Brendan's and like the the bigger, higher names. And we think that like, ah, like they were so good right away. And then someone just plopped them on TV and that was it. Um, and we don't really hear about the backstories of the six, seven, eight years of freelance and trying right. to find consistent work. So shout out to you for the grind. That's awesome. I, I would just like to add too, ice. I
3: feel like you and I are somewhat like opposite, right? Like you knew the sports side. Like, mm, you know, yeah I'm gonna be an athlete I'm gonna like for me I was like I like I said I didn't see the sports thing as super realistic even from a media standpoint and I was like I just I know I'm I know I like journalism I know this is for me and so and then later kind of um embraced uh that like I I do belong in the sports space so yeah. kind of like uh juxtaposing journeys there
1: yeah definitely because when I entered college I knew that I wanted to do public speaking And I tell everyone that I thought I was going to be a spokesperson for a huge company. Like I was going to be a spokesperson for Coca-Cola and go around the world and do their little presentations and sell stuff. And that's literally what my plan was until I figured out like, Oh, I can talk about sports for a living. And now I'm in the best thing ever. And, and by the
3: way, I would just like to say too that things change and that's Mm -hmm. totally fine. Like if you, like you could have one goal and, you know, have something else happen in your life where it changes your priorities and, um, that doesn't mean like it's a, you're a failure if you know you you don't end up getting a job in you know yeah. the the major that you studied in college or whatever. And what I've just embraced is that like I said, just a lot of twists and turns. And um, you know the sometimes uh, a phrase that I say sometimes is like sometimes your uh, dream shows up in a form you don't expect. Mm. So. Just kind of like being that. open to like the what life throws at you, and and um, understanding that uh that could actually be better than you ever imagined.
1: Mm, I love that. Oh my gosh! Come on, life coach. Look, you got me uh, ready to like go chase something else. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, I'm like, to- I hope nobody from EY hears this, but I'm like, like, you know, <laughs> so ready to quit my job.
1: Anyway,
2: <laughs> uh, but
1: we'll discuss the plan after we'll discuss yes, the yes, after. <laughs> yes. but
2: so obviously one of the most premier programs in the history of sport uh yes. UConn women's basketball uh mm-hmm. like the pictures of of you and Gino and then the videos of you and Gino just staying together it I mean it looks like like best friends with such a professional relationship like Gino to me is, is like Godfather-esque, but like hilarious, like (laughs) incredible storyteller. Uh, I mean, his press conferences are so long. I mean, he's, his pauses are incredible. I (laughs) love just listening to him go. Uh, What was that like building that relationship with him?
3: Man, you, you really started to paint a, a pretty accurate picture, I think, because, the thing with Gino is like it's it's nuanced with him. Um, you're right. When I was ever, whenever I was interviewing him, even though I felt like we had a, a good rapport, and he has an excellent sense of humor, and I appreciate that, I was always trying to be truly professional um, because I the respect is so great. And I hope that he realized that um, that I I think sometimes I tried a little too hard to do a good job, and I needed to just like just be more real and and not worry so much about perfection. Um, but I think if anyone can relate to that, it's him because sure. uh, <laughs> he is all about uh, chasing perfection. But um, you know, you mentioned like his long press conferences. I always say he's incredibly generous with his time. Yeah. You know, for somebody who is incredibly in demand, um, he puts thought into every question and he gives everyone the time of day. Um, and I always, uh, I, I always felt like he went above and beyond that what he really needed to. He understood the role. He has understood the role of media and how, um, you know, telling these stories can help him, can help advance the sport. Um, and so i just loved being around him i kind of just cherished every moment because he's always saying something meaningful he's always telling a story you can always learn something you're entertained by him for sure um, and just even traveling with sny and you know you would come across the team like in the hotel or whatever we come across him he'd stop he'd say hello to the crew he would you know he would tell us stories and I just like every single moment I just tried to like hang on his every word because, um, I know those opportunities don't come around too often and I will greatly miss being around the program, like on such a regular basis. Like I said, I know I'm going to be around, um, because, you know, I'm not going anywhere as far as like covering women's basketball. Um, and so I'm kind of excited, like how is, how can that relationship evolve? But, um, but yeah, just uh, just being around that program, not just him, the other coaches who are extremely um, accomplished in their own rights, um, mm-hmm. all like previous head coaches or associate head coach Chris Daly, who's also a, a Hall of Famer. Like just sort of seeing their process, watching the athletes, like just going to shoot arounds before the games, and and just seeing the um, the attention to detail, like they're they're very impressive to me um, with everything that they have on their plates. Um, you know, to, to perform with like the, the challenges that they have in front of them with social media and, and just staying focused uh, always just like respected them a ton. And I just can't wait to see their continued development. Um, the players that I've covered, seeing them develop in the WNBA and also the the current uh, players that are, that are still at UConn. I just like, I'm so excited for this year. I'm not going to lie. I, I, <laughs> I I cannot wait to see the return of Paige. I think she's stellar. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the other players too, like Ice, Brady. Um, So, yeah, like, big fan. I'm not going to front anymore, you know? Like, I always covered the team, and I tried to be as objective as possible. But, like, being around the program, like, I just feel like you can't help but be a fan of the greatness. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I noticed it very quickly. Like at uh, in Hoboken at the bar during their game against Ohio State, you were absolutely glued to that screen.
1: Well, um, when I
3: wasn't yelling at the bartenders for changing the channel, yeah, I yes, was. Yeah. Was, it was a very frustrating day because <laughs> there were like we were we were at the Action Network March Madness watch party and this bar in Hoboken is like, you have like literally like 200 TVs on and like somehow the one TV that's playing the women's tournament is like, you know, switching all the time. And I'm like going from TV to TV. And then it's like on the one crappy TV. I was like very, very frustrated, but, um, that was, a, that was a heart, pretty heartbreaking loss. I mean, yeah, it was tough. Uh, the b- breaking the streak of 14 straight final fours. And I, um, you know, I wasn't obviously there, uh, I, I did get to get to. It's not really like a pleasure, but like I, I. It's just like it's so historically significant when UConn loses anything. Yeah. Um. Like, I mean, I think we had a record of like their games on SNY. it was like over a hundred straight games they won on SNY, and then mm-hmm. um, there were a couple like, oh no, like there were a couple losses this year. It was like so crazy. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but they've obviously dealt with an unprecedented amount of injuries in the past few years. Yeah.
1: For sure, Maria, I wanted to ask you, um, working with a team day in and day out where you, like you said, you become part of like their inner circle. Um, what is the best way that younger broadcasters can just build a rapport? Um, I feel like, um, through my time, just, you know, in the WNBA in college basketball, um, that's something that always young broadcasters ask me like, Hey, like. I want to continue to cover this team. I want to continue to cover this coach. Like, how do I get access? How do I build those relationships where they trust me with information to represent their team in a positive lighting? Um, and since you did it so well um, with the Liberty, with UConn, I wanted to ask you your perspective on just how you built such a good rapport and relationships with, with those players. Well,
3: um, first of all, I appreciate the kind words, but secondly, I, I think it starts with having the right motivation and just mm. genuinely caring. I care about those athletes, those coaches as people. Um, and it, I really go into any sort of interview and, like, I am putting my wants and needs 100% aside. And I'm not trying to sound self righteous. I just go in and I focus on them because the story is about them. And I think sometimes, um, you know, in broadcasting, the story can kind of become about you and your career and how do you get ahead and to me that's the wrong motivation because if you focus on the story in front of you all of those other things with your own career are going to sort of organically follow. Um, so I just think that if you um, show that you care and you show the respect and you're you know careful with how you do everything. I mean I. Again, I'm maybe a little too careful, but with my reports, like I was so meticulous about like, if they said something a certain way, I'm not mincing their words. Like I am using direct quotes or I am, I am being clear that what I'm saying is something from my mouth and not their mouth. Like just really being, um, mindful of your words, your stories and how they're being reflected, um. And also being respectful of time, I think, is a big one. And even even in as something as basic, not basic because it's hard, a lot harder than people think. But like a sideline interview, like something as so small as taking your question and cutting it in half. Like if you can ask the same question in fewer words, I think it's some it's a very small thing that not only makes, in my opinion, the broadcast run smoother and be more like engaging. But also I think the players and coaches appreciate it when you're, you are being um, intentional and you are like mindful of their time. Like I'm not trying to sit here and talk for 30 seconds and then get your answer. Like I just, I want to hear from you. Hmm. The audience wants to hear from the coaches. The the audience wants to hear from the players. So like get to the point, I think Mm -hmm. is like a really big lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes from the the quick preparation prior to those interviews. And that's what I mean. Like it's a lot harder than people think or how it looks on TV is like, I know, like I figure out those questions beforehand. Right. Which isn't always easy because if, especially if it's a close game, I've had, I think two UConn games that were like within a point. And I'm like simultaneously coming up with a pair of questions for the for you know, Gino and and a pair of questions for the other team's head coach, and it's not it's you know it's not easy, but it's like kind of have an idea of where you're going before you get there, um, so that those interviews can be very efficient. Um, but that's obviously that's obviously more of a game day thing. But I think just um, to your greater question, it's more of a day in day out, um, just respecting their time, respecting them, and and making sure it's about them. Mm.
1: I love that answer. Thank you.
2: Yeah, that's so real. I mean, it definitely goes back to, to what you're saying. It's not about you. It's about yeah. them and telling a story. I mean, I, I definitely feel anxiety whenever like somebody has to do a sideline report or talk to a coach mid-game and things aren't going well. I'm like, God. Can
3: I just also say <laughs> – I wish that I could like have a, a, a conference with some TV producers. This might m- make me sound arrogant, but can like the interviews at the end of quarters? No, like yeah. Yeah. Have,
2: you, have you seen the WNBA now doing it like mid mid beginning of a uh, second I don't, and fourth quarter I don't,
3: like, with all due respect to ESPN and their broadcast is legendary. Yeah. And I think the commentators, I mean, Ruko and Lobo and Holly Rowe are absolutely fantastic. But I hate when the reporters, including Holly, are put in sort of like positions where they like have over over interviews. Like, I don't know, sometimes I find myself watching games and whether it's NCAA tournament games or whatever, where it's like, let this coach go talk to their team. Let, the, let, the, let this player go talk to their team. Like, I, I think um, in general, I think sometimes – Sideline interviews could be a little bit too forced, which is, you know, people, some people probably wouldn't like me saying that, um, especially in the industry, but I just think, um, again, with keeping the player and coach comfort and in mind, um, like keep the, keep the interview to like after the half, after the game, that's just my personal preference.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think a substitute to that is like huddle reports, right? Like if we as silent mm-hmm. reporters get more huddle access or yeah. there's a mic'd up huddle, then it's like, okay, hey, we can go back and play this wired 30 seconds, right? We only normally see that in the NBA, honestly, where that's mm-hmm. like a, a constant, you know, piece of content that we're getting. But if that becomes something that we get, then it's like, okay, cool. End of first quarter, going to the second quarter. Hey, here's yeah. what was in the huddle, guys. Here's what they're focusing on. Then silent reporters no. can add to that. I-
3: That's a really great point. And huddle reports to me are -hmm. some of the most um, riveting content you can get because it's one of the few things that the audience doesn't have access to. And, you know, the whole point of sideline reporting is to tell the audience something that they don't know or that they can't find just Googling or, you know, I every report that I've done, I it's been through a conversation with a player or coach that was just told to me. Um, and it's hard to do. It's, it's maybe something that's not always achievable, Yeah, but I'll say this can't tell you how many times I would be on the sideline straining to hear the huddle. Like I would try to get as close as I possibly could without being too like in people's face and like being too rude. And I'm like, I'm like trying to read Gino's lips. And, um, like if I got, if I got one, huddle report in a game. Great. If I got two, like killing it. Right. But then, but also a lot of times, like the only time you can hear the huddle report, you know, something in the huddle is when the coach is pissed off Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like has a reason to raise their voice Mm -hmm. um, that you can actually hear because uh, you know, especially at a place like UConn and now with the WNBA with uh, you know, audience audience audiences growing yeah, it gets loud in those arenas. Um, so it is it's not always
1: easy to do, but I, I agree with you. Yeah, for sure. I feel like my best huddle reports have come before coaches have entered the huddle when the players have been discussing. So when it's that first one, they sit down and the players are like, you know, whether it's like at and she's like, hey, guys, we got to make sure that we take care of the ball or um, Manhattan College. is One of the teams that I cover and it's one of the players coming in and saying, hey, we're right now we're not at our standard. We need to be at. Um, And it's always nice for the audience to hear, like, from players' perspectives, right? We hear about coaches all the time. We interview coaches. You see them. Um, But to know that players, there are player-led huddles and what their information is um, have been, like, my best huddle reports. But I I hear you, what you're saying on, like, the mid-quarter, like, end-of-quarter interviews. And especially when in terms of respecting time, like, yes, it's tough, right? Like, there's not much time there already. And so adding that interview is, like – I don't know.
3: It's really hard to generate something that's actually going to add value to the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you, and also, how about this? If you want to do that, fine. Keep it to one question. Right. Right. one, one or maybe one, maybe one follow up. Yep. I don't need a three question interview. Uh-huh. For sure. time. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting. I'm
1: de- doing it.
2: It's always funny when we, I mean, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon's talked about it. Like I, you've definitely can, can relate. Um, I think uh, like Kim Adams from uh, mm. covering the big East, but like. Once y'all have been in it, like it's, it's wild that the perspective you have watching y'all immediately think about production. And it's just like, we as fans, and people who aren't in that life are just like, oh, you know, final product. We're not thinking about the logistical uh, aspects that go into it. So it's it's always fun yeah. to hear about that.
3: I got an I got another gripe for you while I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> I Sometimes watch these games. I t- I tweeted about this during the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it's an arena thing or a production thing, but some of the angles of these games, and I noticed in the W season too. Every Mini time six. I watch them, games. It looks. I'm sorry. It looks bad. The, yeah. the angle looks. It's like too yeah. angular up top. Too bird eye looking down. And I noticed that. I think it was at maybe a Wings game recently. I Mystics for
2: sure. Out. Mystics every time.
3: Off putting. It's an off putting view. And like that's gotta. That's gotta tighten up. Like I'm sorry. More and more people are watching these games, and we're breaking records in terms of viewership. We need to get the production. Quality up to nothing And again, I know some of these arenas are challenging. I worked at the Washington Mystics arena when UConn played Georgetown. Mm. And mm. I remember there were some challenges to it. I want to actually go back and pull tape from that game on S Y to see if the angle was as off-putting as mm. I've noticed of late. But I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I want, I want the product to shine because the product is so good. Mm. Like, let's make sure we put it in the best light. Yeah. Anyway, 100%. I am really on one at no. you
2: know. <laughs> no, I mean, but but uh, to kind of to kind of segue into you know a point you're talking about about the growth and viewership and yeah. uh, I mean we spoke recently about you know the numbers put up in in, in the final four, uh, you know what ESPN's doing with these WNBA games. Uh, what to you in your mind, being around the game and being around media has been you know some of the driving factors in that. Uh, I mean, obviously like my mind immediately points to, to betting, to social media, Mm -hmm. the, the ability for brands to utilize athletes, pay these athletes in college that are, you know, huge. We're seeing women's basketball players being paid more than, you know, men's football players, which is awesome. Awesome to see. Um, but it's, it's, It's incredible. So what what do you think are some of the biggest aspects in in the growth of the game?
3: Well, I think it all starts with media coverage in general. And Mm. I have noticed a huge amount of growth in the awareness um, of, in particular, WNBA and women's college basketball and women's sports across the board. But those are Mm. sort of the areas that I specialize in. Um, And I started covering WNBA in 2018. And at that time, there were about two writers that I knew of who actually covered the game. It was MA Vopel and Howard Megdal. Yeah. And in the years since I've noticed more and more writers, more and more bloggers, more and more websites, more traditional media, actually allocating reporters to the beats. Um, just more information in general. Mm. Um, and I'm super happy with, that progression obviously there's a ways to go um social media the conversation has changed a lot um it can still be toxic at times um with mostly insecure males um yeah you know trying to hate on the product but they're just ignorant um but for the most part i'll say this like again like back 2018 to now is like night and day in terms of the the social media conversation i notice a lot more respectful discourse Uh, I I noticed just a lot more education um, and a lot more openness. And um, like I said, I think it starts with the media coverage. And I know in my own personal stops along my career journey, I've made sure to find opportunities where um, maybe it was assumed or an oversight or not necessarily something people would do to like mention WNBA or mention whoever. I was like, Hey, like, let's like throw that in there, you know? And, um, I, you know, did a lot of badgering <laughs> which I am not at all. Sorry for. And, um, you know, so it's, it's just in a, a, such better place. And then I think the things that you mentioned in terms of like NIL betting, those are more like supplement now.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Um, and it, it's certainly helping matters. Um, you know, <clears throat> I'm a fan of however you discover the game. Hold on. I need water. Mm. <laughs> all You're good. Talking so, talking your ears off. Um, like, however you discover the game, um, I'm all for it. So if that's because you like to bet and that's where you can get some action and you you like basketball. Like, to me, you if you understand the game of basketball, you will turn on that game maybe because you have a bet on it. Mm. And you will look and see, like, hey, like, this is, this is dope. Um, and then – As far as NIL, look, NIL is big for all college athletes, but it has especially helped level the playing field for women's college athletes, Uh women's athletes in general, because typically if you go professional as a women's athlete, you're not paid to the level of a men's athlete. So to be able to earn uh, some money off of your hard work as a a college student that helps, uh, that helps you financially, it also helps your brand. And what we're seeing is like, just the versatility of women and like just the multifaceted nature of them. Um, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, like this person only got that NIL deal because they're good looking or they're hot or whatever. And it's like, no, like if you actually look like the top NIL earners, especially on the women's basketball side, for the most part are the best players in the game.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: you know, uh, you know, like I said, for the most part. And so like, this is all, this is all good. Like this, this is all good. And I just think for so many years, you know, sometimes traditionalists complain too about like the transfer portal. Mm. I'm all for it. I I know it can get, it can get dicey, but one, it makes it more interesting, right? How much more interesting is NBA and WNBA when we have free agency and we have like people landing where we don't expect, um, Number two, coaches could previously leave with no consequence. And meanwhile, the the players that they recruited would get left behind. And you're asking somebody, we talked about this earlier in the conversation, Ice, of like, knowing what you're going to do at a young age, it's really hard. And you're asking, you know, teenagers to make a college decision. And hopefully they make the right one, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not always a fit. And it's not always because they're giving up on it. Mm -hmm. I think that used to be a stigma of, like, transferring, like, oh, like, why didn't you work there? Like what's wrong with you? And it's like, you know, sometimes it's just not the right fit and, and athletes should get a chance to make the most of their years of eligibility. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like where, you know, college athletics have evolved to, and I'm happy for these athletes that they are, um, they are seeing some dividends from you know, their commitment, uh, because certainly the colleges and the
1: NCAA, we're seeing them all along. Yeah, for Uh, sure. I think um, you raise a good point about the transfer portal. I think the only group that that is affected negatively by the transfer (coughs) portal are high schools, like uh, seniors in high school, because Mm -hmm. you're coming into a program knowing that in an instant. Um, I you can find anyone that is either more experienced than you just more experienced, and having a year of college, understanding the discipline and the time management yeah. that it comes with. Um, but what I will say with NIL right now is that um, it is outshining the W um, like women's college basketball is soon going to outshine the W mark my word, especially if the W does not allow players younger than 22 to be in the draft. So right now that's the W's rule is that you've got to be 22 yes. and in order to enter the draft. And so there are the questions of the superstars that become like the Paige Beckers, probably without an injury or the Caitlin Clarks right now, that if there was no rule for that, the angel Reese's of the world, could they take their ability right now and go be in the W and take all of their NIL deals and now make them actual contract deals and then raise the level of the bar in the W. My concern with the W right now is that if, if expansion doesn't happen soon and you don't lower the age of uh, players that can enter the draft, women's college basketball is going to become like the major thing. We're going to see players doing six, seven years on purpose because they'd rather stay in college than get to the next level.
2: Uh, uh, like how, how's that possible? I uh, six, seven years on oh, purpose. Like?
1: Listen, I could redshirt an ankle sprain if I really <laughs> wanted to, and still be the most popular person on my team on this island. If Angel Reese yeah. is like this year, like I'm not playing, I've got a stress fracture that can't heal. Do you think she would stop her turbo tax commercial? Valid,
2: valid, or, or, valid,
1: or, or, valid, or, valid, Listen, I, I just I want to respond to what you said because I think you yeah. raised so
3: many great points. The key to everything you said there is expansion. Yeah. When you mention expansion, that's when you can start exploring lowering the draft age because we have an abundance, an overabundance of talent and not enough space. But I also think that expansion is going to be from a business standpoint, how you actually grow because you need to be in more than 12 markets uh, for the awareness piece. And look, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Even before NIL, let's be honest, college women's college basketball has gotten more shine in in a lot of respects than the W. Um, And I think that's just, um, you know, a, a product of, college fan bases are really strong and they're loyal. And um, so, but, but seeing those college fan bases like a UConn, for example, just cause I, I spent a lot of time, you know, in, in stores in Hartford, like, and seeing their sellouts all the time. It's like, this could be, this is what those W audiences could be. And they're getting there, you know, yeah. they're getting there um, for the cities that they're in. Uh, but, but yeah, you need to expand. And also there's nothing saying that these companies can't also sign nil deals with current w athletes and so they need to look at that you know the, the uh, emergence of college nil is what sparked everything so everyone started jumping on colleges but these athletes deserve endorsements um uh, you know as professionals which they could have already been getting and um i think uh like to your point the low wnba salaries is still what's making the the college thing a little bit more appealing right now but um but they should still be able to get endorsements and businesses should be recognizing that value I think they're they're definitely coming around to that
1: mm. Mm. great so, point yeah yeah a lot a lot, a lot to go of a lot
3: going into it
1: but <laughs> I, love
2: it. I love it before before I, I move on uh to kind of our, our last few stuff I I do want to say ice was transferring before it was cool
1: um, well look you could uh, transfer but you just had to like sit out did yeah, you i was just that? a rebel who didn't care uh, yeah, I, like, I, yeah. in college basketball just didn't bother me <laughs> um,
2: so so maria you're doing like incredible work at action like the fact we i mean there's the statistics about how many are the growth of betting in, in women's college basketball from from year over year uh, and i think the, the spotlight that, that you shined on it at action throughout the tournament, uh, throughout the regular season. Was, it's a huge Testament. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. It was a, it was a joy to come on and talk to, to someone who's like, just super knowledgeable about it up to date. Um, I mean, and, and it's March and getting, a sh- you know, the shine on, on women and, and understanding this is one of like the coolest betting spectacles for the men's side every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, The same attention should be put on the women, but uh, the fact that you are able to switch and talk about every sport and understand uh, different angles, uh, have to know all these different players, different golfers, like the most random sports in the world uh i I just want to say how do you do it um (laughs) i mean i feel like the amount of preparation uh because i mean it may seem simple to a lot of people to just talk about some betting lines but to be knowledgeable and and do the prep uh pronounce names right it's it's a lot of work
3: well yeah it's hard and honestly i want to do a better job i literally was just having a a conversation with the um chief content officer at Action Network, Chad Millman, like a, a, earlier today. And I was saying, like, look on the segments that are like NBA, WNBA, men's, women's college basketball, NFL, you know, whatever. I'm super strong because I, I know all of those really well. But then when you start getting to like, you know, hockey and soccer and like golf, like it's definitely harder. So it's a little bit less conversational. So I at least try to do the prep, the bare minimum prep to like yeah, like make sure to ask my producer, am I pronouncing this name properly? You know, make sure I know generally what's going on. I go to people on my production team that I know are like stronger in certain sports
1: mm-hmm. and I'll mm-hmm. be like,
3: hey, what about this? What about that? Um, you know, so I, I, I try, um, I, I want to do, I want to do a little better job of that. But um, but yeah, you can certainly tell, I, th- I think the, the sports that I'm more like locked into. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just the prep
2: that's all yeah it's the variety's got to be fun at least um Mm -hmm. we we definitely you know our partnership with or i guess her hoop stats basically owning spread the floor uh loves the partnership with action network loves all the work that you do um i mean it's so cool to see you know women talking about betting i mean it's like so i think it's you know, kind of like what we talked about earlier, it's really associated with men too often, but uh, women are are just, you know, they're allowed to to bet as well. And I think the growth is is great and seeing a woman being a a face of that is is huge.
3: Well, hold on. I just got excited. I don't think I mentioned this to you. I know we got to wrap soon, but um, the last time I was at Barkley center, something happened that has never happened before. I was at a game. I'm on the line for the bathroom. TMI and the, the there was a girl behind me talking, like explaining like what a total was. And I like, mm. literally was like, I turned around I was like, are you talking about sports betting? She was like, yes, I love sports betting. I was like, oh my God, I was like, you gotta, I was like, you gotta like find my podcast buckets, whatever. You know, cause like we've become more accustomed now. It's become more commonplace to see women in front facing roles in sports, like on broadcasts and things like mm-hmm. that and on the executive side of things but now we need to, we're starting to, we got to kind of flip that where we see more women on the sports betting side, because sports betting is still so relatively new that -hmm. it hasn't quite like caught up with that yet. And obviously if you, I think if you see a a woman talking about it as another woman, you like feel more relatable and you feel like, Oh, I, I could do that too. Or if I like the sport, then I, chances are, I will understand what goes into sports betting and to me it just makes it more interesting yes yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. simple as that like if you see it you kind of know you can do it right like in the role model way but also like yes i I firmly believe i could sports bet and understand if i really wanted to yeah dan was bringing me along slowly but surely so so are you now so i will probably be on in a couple months (laughs)
2: yeah uh yeah you uh danielle avari friend of the program has been on here before uh just you know shepherds of, of this and we love it um we know we got a wrap here uh yes. let's let's all give out one bold prediction for the rest of the WNBA season we we're halfway through um start with you ice uh
1: bold prediction <laughs> dallas wings are going to finish in the top three. Oh, it's not that bold oh <laughs> He never likes my Bulls. Another team. I, I play it, it safe. This is why I don't bet, because I play it safe.
3: Go ahead, Maria. What's yours? That's why, though. I'm selective. Mm. Um, so mine's a, a little bit granular. I was actually having this conversation via text with our uh, colleague, Jim Turvey, the other day. And um, I was thinking to myself, is it going to be a different rookie that gets Rookie of the Month for July, like besides Aaliyah Boston? And I thought to myself, if the links keep on this trajectory where they're sma- like like yes teams off guard like could diamond miller or dorka yuhas maybe get into that rookie of the year conversation to be fair uh i admit like I think that the rookie of the year narrative is too far along that I, I don't think it's going to sway at this point because Aaliyah Boston was so dominant in the first half and she was an all-star. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm pretty sure she like has that in the bag, but the fever of since kind of like, and like the links are kind of going like this. So I'm like, so that's my bold prediction that mm-hmm. one of those two will give her a run in the second half uh, at rookie of the year.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: love that. I love that so much. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Oh gosh yeah i mean you know someone someone takes me the other day it's like why have we not been betting Aaliyah boston unders and i'm like oh she's really good let me look at these stats oh wow uh and then you see what diamond miller is doing every night and yeah dork i point, mean
3: you made a point Daniel, on the buckets pod today via action network that Aaliyah's not getting the touches yeah. like like these uh rookies on the links are being given they're being given the rope by yeah. um cheryl reeve to like a lot of minutes a lot of like a big role so I mean obviously Leah Boston has a lot of minutes but you know what I'm saying
1: when the in the, in the have- other way though in a basketball simple way like they're guards right like Diamond Miller is a guard she's touching the ball every single time whether you like it or not Aaliyah Boston most of the time has to fight for her touches or get yeah, them off an offensive rebound which is a little harder than we think so yeah for I sure a good point Dano what's you- your prediction?
2: I, I one one last thing. If you would have told me <laughs> that at the end of July that Dorka Juhasz was making a game-winning block on the road, I would have called you insane. Oh,
1: well, she went like, on DB. Went on DB. Oh, it
3: almost hurt me a little. I
2: I but mean, her like
3: development has definitely been significant. You know, she has definitely made yeah. and because she's gotten so again, she's been she's gotten so many chances to
1: play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to find another angle. I tried to find another team, um, but it's not happening. Dallas Wings, 2023 WNBA champions over the Aces in five. They're going to beat the Liberty. It's going to be bad for me. Um, that's my bold <laughs> prediction. I hope it doesn't happen. I, You know, I'm a Liberty fan. Season ticket holder, I'm proud of them. But as bold as I can be, it's a Wings championship. Uh, plus like 4,000 or something on Vandal right now.
3: Okay. okay. All right, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it there.
1: I could see it though. I think that they could get hot enough. Yeah. I think they're- they could get hot enough and the Aces would still torch them by 20 in two of the yeah, games. That's probably
3: more accurate, but I could definitely see them beating the Liberty at, at the moment. They got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: They're just, yeah. they, they're they're too weird. They're too different. And uh, it's fine. okay. Uh, Maria, Mar- thank
1: you so much for yes. joining us today. It was amazing to have you. Could you give everyone your social media handles so everyone can tap yes. into all that you're doing? Maria Marino is a
3: popular name, so mine has the the uh, middle initial, so it's at Maria C Marino. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. It was a ton of fun.
2: Yeah. Yes, and listen to her every week at uh, Tuesdays and Fridays on the Buckets Pod presented by Action and green dot daily. She's doing it live. Uh, I mean, it's, it's wild to ever be on that oh, show. She's in the zone. It's great. Yes. Uh, so Maria, thank you. Uh, we'll enjoy some WNBA everybody.
3: All right. See you guys.